Hey everyone, you can listen to all seasons of As She Rises, including the new season three, ad-free on Wondery Plus. If all you counted were tires on the cars left in driveways and stranded beside the roads, melted dashboards and taillights, oil pans, window glass, seatbelt clasps, the propane tanks in everyone's yards, though we didn't hear them explode, R13 insulation, paint inside and out, the liquor store's plastic letters in puddled colors below their charred sign, each man-made sole of every shoe in all those closets, the laundromat's washer's round metal doors, but then Arco, Safeway, Walgreens, the library, everything they contained. How many miles of electrical wire and PVC pipe swirling into the once blue sky? How many linoleum acres? Not to mention the valley oaks, the ponderosas, all the wild hearts and all the tame, their bark and leaves and hooves and hair and bones, their final cries. And our neighbors, so many particular, precious, irreplaceable lives that despite ourselves, we're inhaling. If you've ever been under a wildfire sky, well, then you know how disorienting it is. Waking up to a sheet of orange overhead feels like waking up at sunset. The longer the day goes, the more sunset turns into some kind of post-apocalyptic backdrop. Like you've forgotten you agreed to live on Mars or some other planet far, far away. But unlike your typical disorienting dream, when you look around, you're surrounded by familiar things. Your house, the coffee shop down the street, Everything exactly as it's supposed to be, except for the entire sky up above. From Wonder Media Network, I'm Grace Lynch, and this is As She Rises. Today, we're in one of my favorite parts of the country, Northern California. For a long time, the Bay Area was my second home one of the most influential places in my personal history, and still where most of my friends live today. But in the years since I've left, the daily patterns in their lives have slowly changed. They check the air quality index before leaving the house. Even before COVID, there was mandatory work from home because the smoke made it too dangerous to go outside. Many have go bags at the ready. Oh yeah, and they've woken up under that orange sky. One person who knows the procedure of living in fire territory well is our poet, Molly Fisk. She's an Academy of American Poets Laureate Fellow and one of over 52,000 people evacuated during the Butte County Campfire in 2018. Her poem, Particulate Matter, was inspired by the fire and its aftermath. The campfire had happened and I think it was winding down. I think it was about... 10 days after it had started up, because I was so close to that fire, everybody was talking about what was burning and what 
and that we were going to be getting the smoke. And I just thought, yeah, but they're not saying what's in that smoke, which is these people. The campfire was the deadliest and most destructive wildfire in California's history. It was also the costliest natural disaster of 2018 worldwide. And like Molly said, when the fire cleared, people's lives had gone up in smoke. Molly lives in Nevada City, a small town in the Sierra foothills of Northern California. And small might be an understatement. There's only four roads that run in and out. That kind of terrain makes the community close-knit. And it makes the town a sitting duck in the face of wildfires. What's happening here is we're one of those cute little Victorian mining towns with a lot of arts going on. We're on these silly lists, you know, 20 little towns to move to in retirement. And now we're on the list of 10 towns most likely to burn down in a wildfire. Molly's town has avoided widespread damage, but other, less lucky towns in the area, like Paradise, for example, are faced with the prospect of rebuilding, only to possibly encounter another fire. Considered people have to wait They had to wait before they could go back to their houses and sift through the ashes to find things. And they had to wear hazmat suits. So they have to wait to do any rebuilding. But even if a store, for instance, even if a little local grocery store survives a fire like that, there aren't going to be enough customers because everybody's been displaced to keep the store going. But with Paradise, it's so small and it's so... The terrain, it hasn't changed. It's so hard to get out of. If there were another fire, it would be really hard not to have it be the same kind of situation. So I think many people have kind of gone extremely in both directions. Some people are never going back there. And some people are trying to figure out how to rebuild. But you can't rebuild on land that's been so poisoned by what happened. I think living close to a wildfire is impossible to translate to people who aren't there. We're all in the same kind of terrain. And I don't think people understand how long the effects of a disaster like this will last. And even if communities rebuild, fires are getting larger and more destructive. 12 of the state's top 20 fires on record have happened within the last five years. Together, those 12 fires have burned about a Connecticut-sized chunk out of California. The increasing severity and occurrence of these fires is fundamentally changing how California residents feel about their home. So how fire season has changed in the last six years has completely changed how I feel about home. I think all of us are in a state of alertness that we weren't in before. There's a really amazing sense of community that's built up about it, but it's also based in this sort of low-grade constant fear that's really unpleasant. And a lot of us have thought, okay, we're in fire danger, let's see where else we could go. But every place has their problem, and the problems just are happening here faster than they are in other places. So it's... It's a a puzzle living with climate crisis. Part of the puzzle is knowing our role in it. 
in many instances, humans doing a whole lot less would really help the climate crisis. But when it comes to wildfires, that might not actually be the case. Indigenous peoples have used fire to manage the land for millennia, but the practice was suppressed for the better part of the last two centuries. Someone who has been trying to reinvigorate cultural burns in California is Margot Robbins. She's a Yurok tribal member and the executive director of the Cultural Fire Management Council. Ayakui, Nicknell, Margot Robbins. I live in Wichpet, California on the Yurok Reservation in far northern California. The Yurok Reservation is one mile on each side of the Klamath River, where it enters the ocean in Klamath up to near the confluence of the Klamath and Trinity Rivers at Wichpec. It is very steep land, very rugged and mountainous, very beautiful. There are creeks and the river and a little bit of prairie, not much flat land, a lot of big, beautiful trees and a lot of different wildlife. There is only um, one road entering onto and off of the reservation on the upper end. and It is not even wide enough to have a white line down the middle. The Yurok tribe's lands once spanned over a million acres across the Klamath River. At one point, Colonization had reduced that total to roughly 5,000 acres. Today, the tribe owns closer to 60,000 acres of land. During this period of colonization, the Yurok's traditions have been under attack. In order to hunt, gather, or fish on the surrounding land, Yurok tribal members were often technically trespassing on land owned by private landowners or timber companies. And although the tribe has reclaimed acreage through creative partnerships with land conservation groups, many restrictions still exist. For instance, the Yurok have to undergo a permitting process just to hold traditional ceremonies in the nearby Redwood National Park, land that is rightfully theirs. And over the thousands of years that the Yurok people have lived in these forests, they've practiced cultural burns. Being here on the land for tens of thousands of years as Native people, we really have an intimate knowledge of all facets of of not just what the, the landscape is like, the contours and the plants and the animals, but we also have very in-depth knowledge about the weather patterns, the wind. We know when a storm is coming in. And so if it's, you know, during summertime and you know a storm is coming in, you could burn during the summertime. Or in winter, when the snow is, is up on the mountain and you get a few days of good weather, the cold nights draw the moisture out of the, the wood the woody debris, and then so it makes that burnable. So we could burn up to the snow line. When the hunters were out hunting, if they know a storm is coming in, as they walk back down off the hill with their buck, then they can light the fire and it will follow them down the hill and go out as the storm comes in. 
So during those times when there was a regular fire regime, we were not so prone to wildfires because there was not so much brush and woody debris on the land like there is now. And so it was very well kept. Uh, you could perhaps describe it as park-like. Both the landscape and the Yurok traditions depend on fire. The Yurok are known for weaving these beautiful baskets out of hazel that they use for carrying food, water, even their babies. But without regular fire, hazel plants form a tangled bush and aren't strong enough to weave with. The burns also ensured a healthy salmon run and clear water. This symbiotic relationship with fire and water might be surprising at first, but this relationship sustained life for the Yurok. Our culture is fire dependent. At one time, we depended completely on the land to provide for all of our needs. Food, medicine, clothing, shelter, all of those things that are produced from the land all benefit from fire. And some of them are actually fire dependent. And so traditionally, we burned year round from the coastline to the high country. Not continuously, but at specific times during the year and at different intensities, depending on what we were burning for. So if we're burning for hazel, which is what we use for the frames of our baskets, we would burn in very early spring or late fall. And if we burn in the spring, then the following spring, the new shoots will come up. And that's what we harvest for our baskets. It doesn't really immediately make sense to us how there could be a connection between fire and water. But there is a very close connection between the two. So one thing is that, of course, salmon need, they need certain conditions for the water to be in. They need to have enough water that it won't get too warm during summer. And so fire increases the quantity of water that fish need to be healthy. So when we look at our landscapes now and we see all this brush growing so thick everywhere, so thick you can't even walk through the landscape. You can't really walk through the forest in many, many places. And all that brush that's growing there is sucking up water. Water that, if that brush wasn't there, would be reaching the creeks, which would then be reaching the river. So when we are burning at a landscape level, we are reducing the amount of brush, which increases the amount of water. The other thing that we're doing when we're burning at a landscape level is we're leaving charcoal on the ground. And you stop and think about what water purifiers have in them to purify the water. It's charcoal. And so we are purifying whole watersheds when we're putting fire on the land. Fire is essential to the health and survival of this landscape. But for the majority of the past two centuries, U.S. federal fire policy was guided by the strategy of fire suppression. 
non-native settlers saw fire as a destructive force. And in 1850, the California legislature enacted discriminatory laws to punish any type of cultural burning, oftentimes with deadly force. The use of fire itself was banned. So the Europeans that came were afraid of fire, especially after there was a wildfire. And so they didn't understand that fire is a necessary part of the ecosystem and that it is one of our best tools that we have to to keep things in balance. And so they set about to eliminate fire from the landscape. And one of the ways that they did that was they shot Native people on site who were seen starting fires. So that was a pretty big deterrent. Native peoples in California were shot for practicing cultural burns as late as the 1930s. When the shoot-on-site policy was eventually dropped, it was replaced with criminal charges. If you're seen setting an unauthorized fire, you can go to prison. So we went from being shot to now we face going to prison. I actually know of two people in my community that went to prison for trying to use fire to take care of the landscape. These cruel and violent practices set the foundation for the crisis we find ourselves in today. Wildfire is a problem that grows exponentially. Failing to clear out the brush and allowing so much new vegetation to grow has created layers of kindling for fires to feed off of. The area is also in a severe drought. Each of the past three decades has been drier than the last. And overall, California is drier than it's ever been in the last 150 years. This dry environment zaps trees and plants of moisture and over the long term, adds vast amounts of dead wood. It has, essentially, turned Northern California into a tinderbox. Luckily, things might be starting to change. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're right back with Margot. If there's one thing I've learned from researching this show, it's that taking action is crucial to bettering the environment around us. And that goes for our mental space as well. So I want to take a minute here to pause and talk about our sponsor, BetterHelp. Whether you're dealing with anxiety, anger, depression, whatever it is, BetterHelp has licensed professional therapists who are available to talk at your convenience. After being matched with your own professional therapist, you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's genuinely that easy. If you're worried about cost, BetterHelp is actually more affordable than traditional counseling. And they also offer financial aid. And as a listener, you get 10% off your first month when you visit betterhelp.com rises. I'm a big proponent of therapy, and I think the world around us gets healthier as we get healthier ourselves. So join over the 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health by visiting betterhelp.com rises. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash rises. California is slowly beginning to shift its perspective on fire. Earlier, you heard me introduce Margot as the Executive Director of the Cultural Fire Management Council, or CFMC. 
This is a community-based organization dedicated to facilitating the practice of cultural burning, specifically on the Yurok Reservation. The CFMC's first prescribed burn was in 2013. It was a seven-acre stretch conducted by the Yurok Tribe and CAL FIRE, the California Department of Forestry and Fire Protection. Margot said the entire community celebrated that evening because they knew that they would finally have Hazel again. But it didn't stop there. Margot was determined that the Yurok would one day be able to facilitate these burns on their own, so she set about getting people in her own community trained. And so we had our whole community center was full of people getting their fire qualifications. And so that was a really exciting thing. About four years ago, we hit our goal of of 20 local people, like right within our immediate community who are qualified to do burning. And so that's really exciting. And so our goal is just to continue to, to put fire on the land until the damage from over a century of fire suppression is dealt with, and it'll be a while. CFMC will continue training people in their community while also working with other firefighters to do larger scale burns. Margot and her team are also bringing people into their community to help reorient our relationship with fire. Through TREKS, a fire training exchange program, firefighters from all over the country are coming onto your rock land to learn about the cultural significance and practical benefits of prescribed burns. It's like life-changing for the people that come from other areas when they come to our treks, because up until that point, they have either been strictly firefighters or they're just trying to reduce the amount of brush out there. And suddenly they realize that there is so much more to it that it improves the habitat for the animals, that it provides food sources for not only people, but animals as well. It produces, you know, all of these benefits that are really, really important. Suddenly they realize that they are part of something much bigger than themselves and they bring their knowledge back and they share it with others. And so it's like starting to build. There's a momentum building. And the other part of this is to reclaim our traditional sovereign right to just go out and burn at the right place at the right time. What struck me while listening to Margot was just how misguided my conception of fire has always been. The idea that fire would be the key to solving a wildfire problem was not at all something I expected. It brought me back to that question of what is our role? As humans, what can we contribute? Not just how do we do less harm, but actually what can we proactively provide to this ecosystem? And I think the answer might be fire. When I was a kid, and if I'm being honest still to this day, I was incredibly into Greek mythology. In Greek mythology, the Titan god Prometheus is credited with creating human civilization, which he does by first forming humans out of clay and then by giving them fire. You see, it's fire and our ability to wield it that has set people apart in the animal kingdom since our earliest conceptions of ourselves. 
We are the only species that can intentionally use and manipulate fire. But the fact is, we've abdicated that responsibility. Instead of embracing our role, we chose to fear the one natural element that has in many ways defined us. In a way, I see Margot like a modern-day Prometheus, putting fire back in the hands of people so we can save ourselves. When non-Native people came to this land and saw this beautiful landscape and made laws to what they thought they were protecting it by no, you know, no interference in these certain places, they didn't realize that as humans, we are meant to be part of the ecosystems of those places. And it's our responsibility to help keep those lands in balance by using fire. Margot believes we'll be able to reclaim this balance and that the Yurok people are uniquely positioned to do so. I'm sure that many people have heard about historical trauma, and especially in Indian country, historical trauma is a really big, big thing because we have had a lot of trauma in our past and sometimes ongoing trauma. And so science has discovered this layer covering on our genes that holds our historic trauma. It's called epigenetics. And so the things that happened of our past are embedded in our genetic makeup. But, you know, I say that if it's true that it holds our trauma, it also holds the good stuff. It also holds the good stuff. And so we have, you know, we have used fire for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, way longer than we have experienced trauma. And so it definitely makes sense that fire is in our DNA and we have an innate knowledge of how to use it and why and the connection between it and ourselves and the physical world and spiritual world that we live in. Thankfully, California is beginning to correct its past mistakes. Recently, California passed two bills that enhance wildfire prevention efforts, including, among other things, incorporating and facilitating cultural burning practices. But to Margot, there's another hurdle, beyond a legislative one, that needs our attention. We need to, uh, one, knock down the barriers that prohibit us from using fire. And one of those barriers also is fear. People are afraid of fire. It's been drilled into us for over 100 years. That's like five generations of people who have been taught that fire is bad. Fire is scary. We don't want fire at any cost. And that's not, we need to change that narrative so people can be really instrumental in changing that narrative. Even just, you know, talking to the people that you know, who then talk to the people they know about the good things about fire helps, helps change that narrative. In addition to changing the narrative around fire, I encourage you to research if prescribed burns are allowed in your state. See if you can help advocate to expand their scope and funding, especially if you live in the West. You can follow and support Margot's ongoing work at the Cultural Fire Management Council by heading to culturalfire.org or by joining their Facebook community. 
as for our poet. As part of a fellowship with the Academy of American Poets, Molly created a project to teach kids across California to write poems about the climate crisis. She took the best of those, as well as contributions from over 100 adults, and compiled it into an extraordinary anthology called California, Fire, and Water. You can find the link to this anthology, as well as the other resources we've mentioned, in our episode notes. As She Rises is a Wonder Media Network production. If you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you are, please consider rating and reviewing the show on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find us. Or share the show with a friend. As She Rises is created by myself, Grace Lynch. Our executive producer is Jenny Kaplan. The show is produced by myself and Liz Smith. Our managing producer is Emily Rudder. Editorial support from Ale Tejeda and Carmen Borgocarillo. Until next time. Poetry has the power to connect our inner universe and the outer world. In just one turn of phrase, poetry can anchor us or shift a moment, a day, even a whole life. Join me, Ada Limone, on The Slowdown for a poem and a moment of reflection in one short episode every weekday. Listen to The Slowdown wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. You can listen to every episode of As She Rises, including those from the newest season, ad-free with Wondery Plus. Find Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts.